Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. California Democrats have proudly helped the state become a nation leader on climate, forcing the automobile industry to go electric and shaping global policy. But now the bill is coming due and California lawmakers and residents aren't thrilled. Utility bills have shot up by as much as 127% over the last decade in the state and climate spending is partly to blame. That trend has led to intensifying political pressure on state lawmakers to do something about it. So today, I chat with Politico's Wes Venteicher about the high cost of California's climate ambitions. It's Friday, March 1st. A state regulator approved another big utility bill increase at the end of last year. Lawmakers were back in their districts during the break and hearing about these bills nonstop, apparently. They came back to Sacramento and have been making a show of doing something about this since. It's a big deal because the state is really in just the early stages of its push to zero out emissions. By 2045, there are still massive investments needed in renewables and the grid infrastructure to make that happen. And that's where these things collide. In your reporting, there's a lot of pressure on state lawmakers to reduce utility bills. And there's actually a proposal in the state legislature to restructure bills to make them more like the state's progressive tax system. So can you tell us about that proposal and how much support it has? Utilities in many states already have a set monthly fee that's intended to cover the shared costs of things like utility poles that everyone uses alongside their normal charges for the electricity that people actually use kilowatt hour basis. California lawmakers had an idea to make those charges income-based to be more progressive like the state's tax system here. Nearly every California Democrat supported it with votes in a big last-minute budget bill two years ago. As the state regulators have been hashing out the details, there have been some hitches, including problems verifying income to make it work out like it's supposed to. And California is an expensive state, so the existing guidelines for low income don't always match up with how expensive it is to live in certain areas. And so some lawmakers from those districts, particularly coastal districts who might not use as much energy for air conditioning, are hearing about it the most. And they're the ones kind of leading this charge. The folks who would help more are inside the state and they're going to use the air conditioning and they don't have so many options to try not to use it without suffering. And so they haven't been as big a part of this so far, but that's kind of the outlines. And you note in your story, the biggest driver of California utility bills stems from adapting to climate change, not preventing it. So what did you mean by that? Yes, this is an important point. Part of the the narrative that's developing here is that California's climate goals are what is costing or what is so expensive. But so far, the biggest driver in these utility bills is adapting to climate change because the utilities are requesting a lot of money to bury lines underground to reduce fire risk as much as possible. That costs about $3 million per mile for Pacific Gas and Electric, California's biggest utility. And they ultimately want to do that for 10,000 miles of lines. So it's an extremely expensive proposal. There are other less expensive things that they're also doing in other parts of their grid to reduce fire risks. But all of it together is just this huge bill And California is paying for 
adapting to climate change at the same time it's in the early stages of these investments to try to prevent as much of it as California can. That's interesting. So given, I mean, wildfires are particularly extreme in California, I guess, is the trend that we're seeing in the state with higher utility bills playing out in other democratic states that are also going through clean energy transitions? And if that is happening, how do you see kind of the politics affecting Democrats in those states, especially in an election year, of course? Certainly. Some of the states that have adopted the most ambitious goals and did it earliest on, which are primarily California and New York and Massachusetts, are the ones that are kind of on the leading edge of this and are having to deal with this. In terms of climate adaptation, I'm not as familiar with some of those other states, but everybody is paying for the climate pieces of it. And that's kind of more pronounced in New York, where some of the contracts for things like offshore wind, these big expensive climate projects are further along. And we've seen some of those projects have to pull out and cancel. And then the ones that haven't are asking for more money. And that's ultimately going to show up on ratepayers' bills and regulators there have had to make decisions about whether to authorize more spending on this or to compromise or maybe risk slowing down the climate progress and meeting these climate goals that they've all set, which are arriving as early as 2030, which is not much time in our world. Right. And are we seeing Republicans at all in California in particular, you know, trying to exploit higher utility bills and the potential tie to the transition and climate adaptation? They are. California Republicans are in the state legislature are very few. There's not that much they can do, but they have been making some hay of this. They've one of them had a proposal recently to just reduce utility bills by 30 percent. And that's not going to happen. It's not going anywhere. But they are seeing an opportunity here that's mostly been playing out in the building in Sacramento in the Capitol for so far. But once we get through primary season here, we do still have some swing districts for the state elections and certainly for a few congressional seats. And I will not be at all surprised if this is a big theme for Republicans trying to take some of those seats back and defend the ones that they have here. Also, the White House has finally named three nominees to fill seats on the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. President Joe Biden Thursday tapped two Democrats, Judy Chang, who's the former Undersecretary of Energy and Climate Solutions for Massachusetts, and FERC analyst David Rosner. Biden also tapped West Virginia Solicitor General Lindsey C., a Republican. Senator Joe Manchin, who's the chairman of the committee that will hold their confirmation hearings, said in a statement he's looking forward to reviewing the qualifications of all three candidates. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Norma Michael is the podcast producer. Catherine Morehouse was a guest host. Annie Reese edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. And that's our show. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. 
and they're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane.